0: Welcome to the Krieg Devault Podcast, where we discuss the latest news, laws, and trends affecting your industry. Welcome back to the Krieg Devault Podcast. I am your host, George Lepiniotis. I am joined today by one of my colleagues from our estate planning practice group, Micah Nichols. Micah, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So. Uh, Micah, tell us first a little bit about yourself. How is it that you
1: came to practice in what I'll
0: call the
1: estate planning realm? Sure. Um, I have been doing estate planning uh, for about nine years now and came to really enjoy this practice Um, When I first started um, in private practice, working with families, getting the opportunity to advise them on various wealth planning strategies and also uh, business succession, Uh, a lot of people do not think about business succession as being part of the estate planning, um, but for a lot of our clients here at Krieg and at my prior firm, uh, we did represent a number of business owners uh, that had closely held business interests that needed a plan of action in the event that something were to happen to them. Um, and they were the, the main point person, the, the owner, and there was nobody there to, um, to run the business.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think, as I think of your practice group and the little that I know about it, I think that the number one common misconception is that you have to have hundreds of millions of dollars or a, a significant amount of assets in order to have an estate plan. That isn't true at all, is it?
1: No, not really. I, I know we typically would advise anybody to have a plan in place uh, because you know if they don't have a plan in place, there could... Cause unintended consequences that you probably aren't aware that could happen. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with the basics. I know it's a bit
0: sometimes looked on, frowned upon, because you're talking about our own uh, limited lifespan. But the basics of an estate plan include what types of planning provisions? What are we looking to plan for, starting at the most basic?
1: Sure. Core documents normally consist of a uh, durable power of attorney, a health care directive or advanced directive for health care decisions, and a last will and testament. Uh, These three documents are normally put in place. uh, The health care power of attorney and the durable power of attorney, both of those documents would allow somebody to make health care or financial decisions for you if you were to become incapacitated while you're living. The last will and testament really uh, disposes of your probate assets. Uh, If you were to pass away, kind of directs where your assets go when you die. There are a number of clients that have also uh, used revocable living trusts. Uh, That's also sometimes part of the core documentation and that's normally used for a variety of reasons. The main reason being is to uh, avoid the probate process and going through the court process to dispose of your assets.
0: Yeah, and so you said those documents, and I was actually thinking about the healthcare care uh, power of attorney and the, the durable power of attorney. Those two documents are used while you're still living, correct? Correct. And so if you were ever to become incapacitated, you're hospitalized. Uh, you can't make decisions for yourself about either your physical well-being, your, your, your health care, or about such simple things as withdrawing money out of your bank account or paying your car payment or doing some other basic life things, uh, those two documents would be the operative documents that your designated representative could use to gain authority. Correct. And how do we go about, it's funny before we went on the air, you mentioned something to me about, we presume that our spouses are given rights, legal rights over us after we, either when we become incapacitated or after we pass. But let's start with during that incapacitation period, a spouse isn't necessarily uh, presumed to have authority over your body.
1: Well, um, there is there is a priority under Indiana law uh, where normally the spouse does have uh, priority but you can name whoever you want in your durable power of attorney and your advanced directive for health care decisions and um in both of those documents those documents whoever you name would take priority over any kind of default provisions under indiana law
0: well but let's go back there because maybe maybe you can help educate me and our listeners if i am incapacitated seriously and there is a question of whether i'm going to re- recover um does my spouse have the authority to what I'll colloquially call pull the plug?
1: Correct. I mean, if there's nobody, if you don't have a power of attorney in place like a, an advanced directive or any kind of health planning documents in place, uh, the default Indiana provisions would allow the spouse uh, to make the decision for you if the health care provider doesn't have anybody else to go to. So there is a listing of, you know, priority individuals where spouse would um, kind of take you know, make those decisions if you were incapacitated.
0: But it's so if that's the default, what is it that the plan mm. or the uh, you know, the documentation can help alleviate? What is what's the advantage of having the documentation as opposed to just sitting back and saying, Ah, eh, my wife will take care of it.
1: Sure. Like if you don't if you don't have a for an example, if you don't have a last will and testament in place um, and you have probate assets, assets in your name alone, so assets that are not jointly titled or assets that do not have any designated beneficiary on it, um, and let's say you're married, the assumption that most people make is that, you know, your probate assets are just going to go to the spouse outright, um, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, under IndianaS intestacy laws, which are kind of the default rules for distributing assets when you were to pass away, um, if you were to, for instance, die... Uh, With no children, but you have a spouse living, um, you know, a fourth of your probate assets actually go to your surviving parents. Uh, Another situation would be, for instance, like if you had uh, children and a surviving spouse and you didn't have a will basically half of the assets would be split between your surviving spouse and your children. So there's no guarantee or no presumption, which a lot of people make, that your spouse receives all of your probate assets when you were to pass away because of Indiana's intestacy laws.
0: And and we'll get to that in a second. I think that's, that's great progress on that. And you're going to help me understand it more uh, and hopefully the listener. But when we look at the, going back to that incapacitation period, right? Not how we distribute our funds, but more along the lines of uh, who has authority over us. We've talked about your, your, your living will and your healthcare directives. There's also a power of attorney. Explain to the audience, what is a power of attorney? How is it used? What is its purpose? And where does it really play into the overall uh, estate planning process?
1: Sure. A durable power of attorney normally will allow an individual that you appoint to serve as attorney. In fact, they basically are able to stand in your name um, as far as make decisions as it relates to your property, uh, finances. So they have the ability to make decisions about, you know, your bank accounts, your real estate, your property, dispose of personal property if they need to. Um, They have the ability to make gifts on your behalf. All this is typically done when you are incapacitated, although some make uh, can some can make the durable power of attorneys effective immediately, so a lot of times with spouses they'll allow their wife to act for them on their behalf, even though they're not incapacitated. Um, so you know either situation works, but basically it's it's a person that's appointed to manage, make financial decisions for you if you were to become incapacitated.
0: Tell me about the parent-child relationship. So, for instance, my. Uh, Dad passed a few years ago, and now my mom survives him. And uh, she has different needs, obviously, as she grows older. Um, is 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 that a situation you consider where a parent and an aging parent might look to a child when they're spouseless to act in that power of attorney? And what are the benefits and what are the
1: risks of doing that? Correct. Most time, those that are a little bit older uh, will appoint a more adult child responsible child to make financial decisions for them, especially as they age uh, and their issues are related to um, their capacity. The alternative to not having a power of attorney in place too is that if you don't have one and you need somebody became incapacitated and they needed to, somebody needed to make decisions for that incapacitated person, they'd probably need to establish a guardianship. And so that would require going through the court process to be appointed guardian. So many individuals choose the cheaper alternative, which is to do a durable power of attorney and get that in place, because the alternative is kind of going through the guardianship process, which takes a little bit longer uh, to go through um, and to get somebody appointed guardian.
0: Now, what about the trust process? I mean, I'm thinking about, okay, uh, let's say that as I get older, I name my daughter my power of attorney. And I do it immediately effective so that there is no, uh, she can act as necessary, or I could put in a provision that she can, she becomes power of attorney upon an event, right? My incapacitation. Correct. Um, Does that remain revocable during my lifetime?
1: Sure, yeah, durable power of attorneys, as long as you have the capacity, can be revoked at any time,
0: so. One of the interesting things, you, you mentioned this word capacity. Let's talk about that a little bit because I've always been curious. Who goes about determining someone has if someone has capacity to either agree or revoke to these important decisions?
1: Normally, it's a we, we put in our documents that it's a it's a doctor that makes that decision on capacity. They would normally provide some kind of doctor's note or some kind of written document that so, that says that that says that they need uh, assistance uh, with their financial affairs, managing their property, and that would kind of enact the power of attorney.
0: Yeah, so, You know, as we go into the details of the various estate planning tools that you use, I do want to take a step back and really focus on back to that original statement that I asked you about. Everyone needs an estate plan, right? No one lives forever and there is a need to, to, to plan for your both worldly needs and your um, post-departure needs, Um how is it that someone can go about starting that process? To the outside world, I feel like it feels daunting and it might even feel morbid, right? They're thinking about this is really something we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about, their incapacity and their death. That, that can be intimidating to people. How do you go about starting? What's your first step if you're out there, you're listening and you realize maybe either you don't have an estate plan or you're, you have an outdated or incomplete estate plan? What's your first step?
1: Normally, we tell clients um, when they're first meeting with us is to really kind of develop, whether you do this with a financial advisor on your own, develop an asset listing. Uh, That really helps us kind of determine how comprehensive or complex of a plan you might need. Uh, There may be ways uh, to go about structuring your estate plan, which could make it as a simple plan, or it could make it more complicated, depending on what your net worth is. And so the first step that we always tell clients when they're meeting with us is, it's a good idea just to have a general idea as to what your assets are, what your debts are, what your net worth is.
0: So get together, to, to our listeners, get together an asset plan. Right. Figure out what are, your, what are your liabilities, what are your assets, what are the things that your earthly possessions, let's call them that. And then... Contact one of our estate planning attorneys, yourself, uh, Rodney Ratzner, Brian Hittinger. We have a whole group of of attorneys who are experienced in that area of the law. Um, And there's more information, of course, available on our website where they can find your bio. Uh, But is it as simple as picking up the phone and calling you?
1: Yep. Yep. It's normally pretty simple. Uh, The other thing I would consider when you're thinking about getting started is, Think about the people that you're going to want, to, that you trust, when you were to pass away or while you're living. As far as who do you want to manage your assets, who do you trust in making healthcare decisions for you, if you were to become incapacitated, um, that those people or that person that you appoint is going to have a significant discretion in managing your assets and making decision healthcare decisions for you. So you want to have a good group or listing of individuals in place that you feel you could appoint to act in those certain situations
0: yeah that brings up an interesting concept that maybe you can help me maybe we can look into is 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 there a way to definitively avoid a challenge by your heirs who may feel slighted at your decisions that's that's something i hear at cocktail parties all the time is wait how do i make it so that i know my decision is going to upset so-and-so, one of my children, one of my uh, relatives, um, but so be it. Are there ways that you can definitively avoid the challenges?
1: No ways to guarantee that your documents won't be challenged or that there won't be issues when you were to pass away. You can, to some extent, deter uh, you know conflict by including a no contest provisions. Those are legally allowed in Indiana now as of a couple of years ago so uh, you know there are ways to deter people from fighting about your plan and, and what you put in place uh, can never really guarantee there's well, no there's gonna be no conflict though. let's
0: unpack that what is a no conflict provision
1: yeah so a no contest uh, provision basically states that in, if, in the event that somebody were to contest what I have done in my will or my trust that person or those persons could be disinherited from the estate or trust. Uh, There are a number of exceptions to that no contest order being upheld. For instance, like they could argue in good faith that the person enacting the will or trust was incapacitated, and at that point, the court's still going to allow it. So it's a deterrent, but keep in mind that there are a number of exceptions there where somebody could still probably contest, even if you include that provision.
0: One of the things that I tell people in my limited knowledge of your practice is One of the ways to avoid that challenge, especially the capacity challenge, is to make the plan when you're younger and healthy, when you're when you're capacitated, when there's no question that you're that you're there, there's undue influence or that you're not that you don't have that capability about you waiting until you're 85 seems like a bad idea.
1: Yeah, I would say so, and and even if you're getting started late in the process, and there's some issues about capacity, sometimes we will execute documents with clients where we have a doctor's note or some kind of medical evidence that shows yes, they have the capacity to execute these documents, and we can go ahead and move forward with with executing them. So, uh, but yeah, the earlier you start, the better most of the time. And does it now? Uh, I want to dive before we get into some of the more
0: complicated estate planning tools like trusts. And um, even some corporate structures, right? I mean, you can use corporations and limited liability companies and such to help with your plan. Uh, but, but as you mentioned earlier, you know, transitioning businesses and business interests. But when when we look at um, the the tools that you have at your disposal, is it? Is it better to appoint someone to make your decisions or is it better to specifically write out your decisions and give more instructions?
1: Probably depends on the client the personality of the client um, some people are perfectly happy with appointing somebody that they trust to make the call and giving it in the discretion of the fiduciary uh, other times people like to be more proactive and I think the great thing about an estate plan is that it is personal to you and we can cater it to whatever you know, decisions and whatever fits your personality as far as how much you want to micromanage the advisor and the person that it will be managing your assets with if you were to pass away.
0: Yeah, that's that's great advice. So let's talk about some of the more complicated issues before we, we, we call it a wrap here today. Um, we know that a few years back, uh, the previous administration, the Trump administration, changed some of the inheritance uh, uh, rules, tax rules, for the, at the federal level. Um Let's talk about that. What are the changes at the federal level? Where do they stand today? And when do they terminate as they stand right now?
1: Sure. The, I think what you're getting at is the, the current gift and estate tax exemptions, which is what's really on a lot of people's minds that have taxable estates. So the current um, lifetime credit for an individual is $12,060,000. And then for a couple, it's about twenty-four million one hundred twenty thousand dollars So that's the amount of assets that you can pass uh, to heirs, beneficiaries without incurring any kind of gift and estate tax. Uh, the gift and estate tax rate is about 40%. So any dollar over uh, those lifetime credits would procure a 40% tax rate. So a lot of folks are very wor- worried or concerned about going over that limit. But at this point, the lifetime credits are so high, there's not too many people that fall under that. However, uh, those, uh, the, the extension, the increase of those lifetime credits are set to sunset at the end of 2025, beginning 2026, where they're going to drop. Uh, from about, you know, 12 million where we're at now to about, they're predicting about 6 million. So they're going to cut the lifetime credit in half by the end of 2025, early 2026. So um, a lot of people are a little bit concerned about those, the, the exemptions or lifetime credit dropping. And so there are a number of people that are looking at gifting now before 2025, 2026 happens. Now, Congress could enact some kind of legislation to, uh, increase, uh, you know, that, that the deadline or they, they could basically, you know, keep the exemptions where they're at currently, but they have to proactively do that. And if you're following Congress these days, there's not really a lot that they're agreeing on right now. Um, so the chances of them being able to act on something before 2025, 2026 is is probably not very good.
0: Yeah. Common ground is hard to find. So then when we look at it, I want to unpack that statement. Yes, I was discussing the lifetime exemptions, Exemptions, correct? Correct. And so for those of our listeners who may not be quite as familiar with the lingo as you obviously are, husband and wife build a business and acquire assets that during their lifetime may equal $30 million together, as a husband and wife uh, owned together. Husband passes first. Does wife's husband can? There's a mechanism where husband's twelve point something million can pass to wife. Correct.
1: Right. That's that's a called portability. Yeah. So they could port. He could port his lifetime credit to his spouse, so that when the when the surviving spouse passes away, she basically has twenty four right. so million. To so you give. don't
0: lose it necessarily if your spouse survives. Correct. It is portable. Correct. However if no one passes, the husband and wife together can choose during any point in their lifetimes. They don't have to wait for their death. They can choose at any point in their lifetimes to gift to anyone. It doesn't, not just their children, correct? Correct. So I can choose to gift to anyone up to $24.1 million,
1: roughly. Correct. It's called the lifetime credit. So you can gift... Basically you can gift now while you're living or you can gift later, but you can't go over that if you're a married couple, you can't go over that twenty four so million or so.
0: You have twenty four million dollars of free gifting where you're not charged that federal income or I'm sorry, inheritance tax rate of forty percent. Correct. So the first twenty four million there's zero federal tax on. And now what's keep, significant about that twenty four million dollar number that would make somebody maybe in their, their earlier stages of life want to start gifting now? It's it's very high, isn't it?
1: Right. Right. And and keep in mind, too, George, that there's still an annual exclusion. So you still have 16,000 that you can give to an individual each year without having to report it. And so that doesn't go against your lifetime credit. So you have 16,000 per individual. Anything over that would Go at your lifetime credit, so you have annual exclusion gifts, but then you also have these lifetime credit gifts. Okay, so the
0: annuals refreshable every year. You get an extra six a new sixteen thousand dollars for any individual, correct? And it can is it unlimited of individuals? Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. so you could pick. Let's say you have five children. You could every year give each of your children up to sixteen thousand dollars tax free.
1: Sure. And
0: that does not ac- that does not count against that twenty four million
1: dollars. Correct. Twenty
0: four point one million. Correct. Okay. So now, what happens if your estate? Is thirty million dollars. That extra six million dollars, arguably, you are taxed at forty, up to forty percent.
1: Correct. If you, if, if let's say you, you know, the the surviving spouse were to pass away and you had thirty million. So let's say we didn't gift at all during lifetime. And you had thirty million. You're you, that six million or so would be taxed at a forty percent rate.
0: So, for those people who maybe um, now. I, I, I let me focus first on this idea that you can do it at any time and and and, it, and the and the t- number will sunset in 2026 2027 um that makes updating your estate plan especially if you're approaching that number in assets or actually even if you're approaching the lower number which is what it's going to revert to which is what 10 or 11 million dollars
1: yeah about 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 12 million, they think, probably for a married couple in 2026.
0: So, if it reverts back to that, that's really the operative number. If you exceed 12, then you want to take advantage of the 24 while it's still active.
1: Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. And a lot could happen in the next, you know, three to four years with Congress. We're just not not sure what's going to happen, but it doesn't hurt to take advantage of the high lifetime credits that you have now,
0: Micah. This has all been very, very useful information. For those that want to learn more, for those of our listeners that want to learn more about you, your bio's on the website. Uh, there's more. I know you've done some thought leadership here, written some articles for the firm on some of these topics. All of that can be found there. Um, I know you're very easily approachable, and you've helped me with my estate plan and, and many others. So appreciate your time today and look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to the listener. Thank you for listening today and learning more about estate planning. Uh, There are very few areas of the law where you can stress universal application, uh, where any listener, anyone in almost any state in the union should be looking at their estate plan and making a plan for the future with someone like Craig DeVault, Micah Nichols, and our estate planning team.